Hey, let's open our Bibles, Titus chapter 2, please. We're going to pick it up where we left off. We've been in a series about sound doctrine and that it's very, it's very uh, practical, it's very, you know, application-oriented. It's not just a bunch of head knowledge, and it applies to life, and that's really kind of what uh, the theme has been in, in the different age groups that we talked about, that, that the uh, Scripture was talking to the older men, the older women, the younger, younger women, and the young men. And uh, last week, just uh, to review, to, to recap what we talked about, we talked about self-control. But it didn't apply just to the young men, did it? You young men should say no. Maybe. It applied to everyone, every age group, right? How many, how many of you, you know, since last week, you've got self-control completely nailed down. It's all, you've got it like perfect now. Go ahead. And, Kelly? Kelly. <laughs> no, it's something we all need to work on. We all need to work on this where, where God helps us to control ourselves. And again, it's not that we do it in our own strength. We can't do it. It's really the, the power of God's spirit working within us to help control. Control these beasts, as one person said. Control this beast within us to have some self-control in all the different areas of life, in our words, what we say, in the whole area of sexual impulses and food and drink and, and uh, our temper to control that, the finances to have self-control. And someone brought it up too, and I kind of alluded to it, but just the way we think as well, to control our own thoughts so it's our, own, it's our thoughts, it's our actions, it's, the, it's all this stuff that we really need God to work in the center of who we are, uh, the very heart of who we are, and giving us His strength to make uh, good choices and to uh, begin to, to have that self-control that He wants us to have. And again, as I said, and I say this a lot, uh, you know, when you get old, you start saying the same things over and over again, Right? You start saying the same things over and over again. Oh, you get it. Okay, sorry. But if God asks us to do something, he's going to what? He's going to help us. He's going to provide. He's going to give us what we need to do, what he wants us to do. So if he wants us to be people and, and as believers, people of self-control, he's going to give us what we need. So we don't have any excuse to say, God, you wanted me to be self-controlled, but I didn't have what I needed. But God will give us, and he will give you, and he gives me what we need to do what he wants us to do. Now today, we kinda, uh, we're kind of coming to the end of this section on, on sound doctrine, but uh, really, he, he talks here, uh, Paul is speaking to Titus, but again, it's much wider than that. But this idea of sound doctrine, that it's something that should be lived and taught. It's not just that you go to a seminary or you go to a Bible study and somebody teaches you sound doctrine, it's something that has to be lived out. They both are true. They both uh, need to be uh, happening. You know, you have two different possibilities, right? Where somebody is really living it out. 
And that's good, right? They're living it out, but they're not teaching it. They're not telling anyone about it. And that's probably okay. That's probably good. And then, but, and that's better than someone who teaches it, right? But never lives it. So it's, it's better that someone who lives it but never teaches it than someone who teaches it but never lives it. But it's better that both are happening, right? Isn't that true? He wants us to, to be taught. He wants us to learn. He wants us to tell others and teach others. But it needs to be a part of our lives, too. It's got to be. It really has to be. So is he talking now into this, in this section we're going to look at? You'll see why I say this in a, sec, in a second. Is he talking just to pastors, just to teachers? Or is he really talking to all of us? I think there's application to all of us. To live it and to teach it, live it and to say it. Let's read verses 7 and 8 together. He says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. It's a tough passage, isn't it? To set an example, and he's, again, he's talking to Titus, but it, it really is for all of us. And notice what comes first in, this, in these two verses. What comes first between the living and the teaching? What? The living comes first. The living and then the teaching. So that kind of goes with what I was saying earlier. If you, if you were just going to do one, it's better to do the living part. But we need to be telling others and teaching others too. The living comes first. But notice he says, in everything. In everything. Now, in everything, what, you know, if you go back, if you're a Greek scholar and you go back and look at that word that says everything, guess what it means? Everything, right. In other words, the whole of our lives, he says, in everything, and not just a little part of our lives that we call Christian, right? You know, that little part of our lives on Sunday where we go to this place, we go to this building, wherever we go, and we get together, and so for an hour and a half or two hours, or if you're really going strong, two and a half hours, and... And then you go out of here, and, and then it, there's no connection between what happens here and what happens out there. We come in here, and we sing songs. We sing songs of worship. We sing songs of praise and surrender. And then we walk out there and, and just do our own thing. So he's, he's saying that's not really the way it's supposed to be. He says in everything, in every part of our lives, seven days a week, not just one day a week, in everything, what does he say next? He says, set them, in, set them an example. And this is the live it part. Live it and teach it. He says, set them an example. It's set them a pattern. Again, he's talking to Titus. Yeah, I understand that. And he, as the leader, as the pastor, as, as, as have that place of leadership, he needed to set the, set the example. We're going to read in, in 1 Timothy. Paul said the same thing to Timothy as well. But again, I think, it, I think it really does apply to all of us, that we all need to be living it and setting an example of what it is like to be a believer. 
Now, this word, I looked it up, and you can look these things up in, in uh, you know, now that, now that the Internet has all the Greek dictionaries, anybody can look these things up. You can go in, and once you figure out how to do it, it's not that hard. You can look up what the words are that are behind these English words that we have because they weren't written in English, right? right. Well, no, wait. They were, they, were, they were written in King James English. Right? Greek. These words are written in Greek, right? Most of the New Testament, the little parts are written in Aramaic, but in Greek. So you can look this up and you can find out. But this word literally, literally means uh, an impression made by a dye. Any tool and dye people in here? Some of you. So it literally means you're, you're making an impression. You have this die and you're making your, you hammer it. It's like, it's like you know, the, the die for, uh, for letters, you know, they, they used to have that and then they would push down or you could take the hammer and, and make the letter. And, but it made an impression on whatever it was you were trying to make an impression on. The truth is you and I are making an impression all the time. We're making an impression on people. What kind of impression are they getting? You know, I, I just, I have to tell you this and celebrate with me. I finished my rehab on, on Wednesday. Sounds like a golf clap, but that's okay. So I finished my rehab, you know, but, but you know, I, I'm just with all these people and, and uh, most of them are much older than me. And, uh, you know, but I didn't talk to a lot of them, but I, you know, I made a few friends there. And you wonder, what kind of impression did, was my life there? And, and, you know, time will tell, and God knows, you know, just my life, what, you know, what, was it good or was it bad? What kind of impression are, are we making where we work, our neighborhood, excuse me? Uh, I'm really thirsty, I'm going to drink, excuse me. You know, all the things that we do, some of us are in school. What kind of impression is my life making with those people around me? Because we're making an impression. You can be sure of that. We are definitely making an impression. So what kind of impression is? And Paul's telling Titus, and I believe he's telling you and I too, that we need to make a good example. We need to set an example by doing what is good, he says by our lives, living the way Jesus would have us to live. Now, I have to truly say this, though, that it is especially leaders that it applies to. There is a, a more of a responsibility, a more of an accountability for someone who puts himself or, or herself in a place of leadership. That, that, uh, James says, right, that, that uh, those who teach will be judged more strictly. There'd be more accountability. Now, that's a scary thing for me and for anybody else who has a place of leadership. You need to understand this is not just, hey, just do your thing and whatever happens, happens. No, it's a, it's a calling. It's what God is calling you to do, but there's a responsibility that goes along with it. There's a passage in Hosea uh, that I read says, like people, like priest. Like people, like priests. You know, it's like father, like son, where the people we're with, are, they're going to see. And, and the people in a group like this, we're going to kind of be like each other. Warren Wiersbe said this. 
He said, a pastor preaches best by his life. He must constantly be a good example in all things. And whatever the pastor wants the church to be, he must first be himself. He must strive to be the best example possible. A church will never rise higher than its leadership. Wow. That's hard. That's hard sometimes, being a, being a leader, being a pastor, because why? People are looking at you to see what is your life like. Again, it's a very serious responsibility. Now, I, again, I think there's a place uh, in this discussion for leadership, but I think I want to apply it to every one of us as well, because we are all making that kind of impression in one setting or another. Sometimes it's hard, though, when you're a leader and, and your life is like uh, what they say, like in a fishbowl. People are watching you. So I feel pretty much like a fish sometimes. <laughs> but, but I want to be, if I'm going to be any kind of fish, I want to be like a goldfish, like really bright gold colored, you know. But a lot of goldfish don't make it. So maybe I want to be something different. How many of you had to get rid of the goldfish? Yeah, it just like happens, right? For the long term, we got to be thinking, what's my life like in the long term, the long haul? What kind of impression, what kind of example am I setting to the people around me? Turn back uh, just a couple pages to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I mentioned this, 1 Timothy 4.12. And Paul said... Very similar thing to Timothy, right, in verse 12. He said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers. What does a believer look like in speech? What kind of speech do we have? What kind of, what kind of talking do people hear us? What kind of languages are people hearing come out of our mouths? In life, what kind of a life? What's the direction of my life? In love, is there any kind of love happening? In faith, do people see that we're people of faith? Do we have faith in something beyond ourselves? We have faith in something bigger than ourselves. Impurity. We talked about that the last couple of weeks, a, a very impure world that we live in, and God's calling us to be pure. He's calling us to be set apart, to be different in a very impure world. Back to Titus, he says the same kind of thing to him, set an example, but notice he says, by doing what is good. By doing what is good. Now, does this mean this is how we get to heaven? By doing good works? No, we, we get to heaven because of what Jesus did, because of the cross, because he saved us. Not by works we have done, but by his mercy and grace, he saved us. But because we're saved and when we're saved, we do good things. We live a good life. It changes us. It, it, it affects how we live. It affects what comes out of our lives. Or it should, I should say. Because we're saved. So, live it. That's, that's point number one, one, right? Live it. 
But he doesn't stop there, right? He goes on to say, in your teaching, he talks about teaching, right? Not just stopping at the, the living part. Teach it. He wants us to teach it. He wants us to let other people know. And he wants us to be very careful in the, in the, the verses and these wordies, the words that he's talking about here talks about how you're teaching and what kind of teaching you have. It doesn't just mean teach because we can teach a lot of weird stuff. Right? I was talking with Mike beforehand and, and they were visiting a church which was a Calvary Chapel. You mind if I tell this story, Mike? Because I don't know the name of it or anything. And, 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 and they were going visiting this church and they were saw, they were teaching the Bible and then some, someone else came in and they started teaching weird stuff that wasn't from the Bible. So it's not just that you teach, but you need to teach what's right, teach what's good. And that comes from where? From the Word, from the Scripture, right? Paul told Timothy that he should... He should uh, be a workman who does not need to be ashamed, study. And, and he said that he should be correctly handling the word of truth. One version says rightly dividing the word of truth. Correctly handling the word of truth. And that's kind of what we're seeing here, isn't it? He says teach, but, but be very careful about how you teach. And he says that you need to show integrity. There's got to be some integrity And, and, and the word has this idea of it that it would be sound, that it, that it would be without corruption, without, you know, corrupting what's there. And that's kind of where the false teachers go. They'll, they'll throw in a little bit of Bible, but then they'll, they'll either add to it or they'll take away from it. Right? I read this warning in Revelation 22. Now, he's talking specifically in, that, in this place about the prophecy of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about that book, the book of Revelation, right? But I think, I, think the, I think it applies to the whole Bible, but listen to what he says. And this is like uh, down to like three or four verses before the end of the whole Bible, right? He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away words from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. That's pretty serious warning, right? We better be careful that we correctly handle this word and, and, and we know what we're talking about. You know, I, I think I, I, I try to be careful. If I don't really understand it, I don't want to talk about it. I want to tell you something that I don't really you know, have at least somewhat of a grasp, somewhat of an understanding on. Now, sometimes it just takes a long time, right? It takes years and years sometimes to understand what's being taught there. I, the more I study, the more I learn, the more I realize how little I really know, how deep it is. It's, it's way deeper than what I thought originally, initially. This word is incredible. And how God speaks through it, and God ministers, and God helps us, God guides us, He rebukes us, He, he counsels us, He straightens us out through this word. But it's God's word. 
And if we're going to tell somebody what God's word says, we better at least tell them correctly what it says and not add to it, you know, what I think, my opinion. The next thing he says there is seriousness. And it, and it, it really means that. It means being reverent. It, it, it means to have respect for the word of God. You know, I've, I've seen this through the years in different ways, and I, I you know, where, where someone, you know, if you'd have your Bible, you know, they, they wouldn't put anything on top of that if they had it at their house. Have you, have you heard somebody who did that? Any of you? If you had your Bible there, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put a cup of coffee on your Bible, right? Why? Because there's this, there's this, this seriousness about it, you know. Now, you know, it, is there something magical about the pages and the paper that's here? No, it's what it represents, right? Besides the fact that if you're like me, you're probably going to spill that coffee. And, and, you know, you're going to have brown marks all over your pages, and that's no good. There's a seriousness. There's a respect. Uh, Thayer, who is a, uh, a Greek scholar, he had these words for this word. He said, dignity, gravity, majesty, and sanctity. I like that. Let me say that again, because that's what he's talking about here, the teaching of God's word. And this particular word, he, he translated, translates it, in these four words, dignity, gravity, majesty, and sanctity. That's powerful, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. That's why we love the Bible. That's why it's so incredible. Now, when he says serious, does that mean we all have to have a glum face? We can't have any fun. We have to be serious all the time. We can't you know, do anything that might take away from the seriousness. No, I think God has made us to be you know, multifaceted people, human beings. And I think sometimes if, if we can take something and, and, and uh, you know, make it uh, even fun, but yet serious, that it'll stick with us sometimes, right? I think, I think that's why I like music so much, because we, we can make songs of, of all different types of songs, right? Uh, upbeat songs and, and, you know, minor key songs, sad sounding songs, and yet the truth be, is there and it helps us to remember the truth. So I think we need to be very, I think in teaching, we need to be serious about the Word of God, but we also need to be creative in terms of how we express it and how we teach it so that people will, will actually listen. If I, you know, if I just got up here and I, you know, I had pages and pages of notes. I do have notes, by the way. If I had pages and pages of notes and I just got up here and just read them, do your best to present yourself in monotone, of course, to God as one approved workman who does not need to be ashamed, never looked at you, never smiled, you'd probably go somewhere else. Or you'd, you know, say, it's okay that I stayed up late last night. I can catch up my sleep right here, you know. I remember, <laughs> oh, you know, how, can, how come you remember things 
certain things and you can't remember other things. I remember being in high school and we had a, a history teacher. History. And back in high school, that was like the last thing I wanted to hear. But, but I can distinctly remember this guy teaching and he was the history teacher. And I looked around the room and like, like 80% of the people, they had their heads down on their desk like this. Now, I don't think he was making much of an impression. And, and people were just catching up on their sleep, and he didn't seem to care. Now, I know some of you had a rough night, and you're sleeping right now. And, and you know what? I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's okay if uh, I have trouble uh, sitting still and, and, and keeping alert, and I sometimes get drowsy sitting where you're sitting, too. I confess I do. So... But, but for some of us, you know, the rest of our world is completely scary, completely on edge. And so if you can come here and find some peace, and I believe God has promised to give us peace here. And, I, and he's kept his promise. Yeah? Any of you feel peace in, in this place? He's kept his promise here. It's amazing. It's not anything we do. It's God's spirit bringing us, giving us his peace. So... What I'm trying to say is if, if, if this is a place you find peace and you get so peaced out that you just get a little drowsy, uh, I'll teach you a few tricks. Uh, kind of put your head down like you're looking at your Bible, you know, and then I can't see your eyes going like this, you know, so kind of keep your head down a little bit or go like this, you know, then I can't see, Whatever. You get the point, though, right? We take very seriously the Word of God. But we can have fun, too. And we want to make application as best as we can. We want to apply it to our lives as best as we can in ways that we might remember, that we could possibly remember. Where is he here now? He says, in your teaching, show integrity. And, and seriousness. And then he says, in soundness of speech. Soundness of speech. And that's the same word that he used in verse 1 when he talked about sound doctrine. So healthy, whole speech. And your teaching, show these things. Being very careful, again, with our words. You know, I like, I love to make people laugh. I do. I can't remember a lot of jokes. I know one or two. Uh, is your refrigerator running? Is your refrigerator home running? Well, you better go home and catch it before it runs out the door. I remember that. But, you know, humor is a, a scary thing, right? There's a, there's a, a fine line. There's a sharp edge that, that you can take humor and you can hurt people. Right? Because a lot of humor is at someone else's expense. So, you know, it's okay for me to pick on myself. It's okay for you to pick on yourself. But be very careful. Again, healthy speech, soundness in speech, especially when we're teaching God's word. And then he says that, you know, that, that in all of that, the soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, 
He said, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. In other words, let's not give them any ammunition because of what we say. Oh, yeah, look at that. Now, the truth of the matter is that the attacks are going to come. They will come. The attacks, you as a believer, me as a, a believer, as a leader, the attacks will come. People are watching. They're looking to see what kind of impression. They're looking. They're trying to find fault. But let's not give them any ammunition. They will still attack us, but they'll have to make up something to throw at us, to throw around about us. Peter said these words. Let me read them to you. He said, Dear friends, he said, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain, keep away from, hold back from sinful desires which war against your soul. He said, Live such good lives among the pagans, that, are, that, that means unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. They'll see your life, like Paul told Titus, doing what is good. They'll see your life and they'll say, wow, and it'll affect them, though they might throw these things at you, but in the end, your life has spoken to them. It's spoken to them, hopefully, not about yourself, but about the Lord, about Jesus. So, we're going to have communion here in just a couple of minutes. And I think I would have to say who is our truest example. Who is our best example? It's Jesus, obviously. The one who came, who lived and taught. He didn't just come and teach. He, he obviously did teach, though. He was the most incredible teacher in, ever on the whole planet that ever came and walked on the earth. The Sermon on the Mount is, has got to be the most incredible uh, three chapters that, that, that are on the face of the earth. But he didn't just teach it, did he? He lived it. He lived it. So let's turn back to John chapter 13. We're going to close there before we have communion. The Gospel of John chapter 13. We're not going to read the whole section, but Jesus uh, was there and he was washing the disciples' feet. You know, you all know the story. You all know about it. But I want you to look to uh, verse uh, 14. He said, well, let's start in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Verse 14, now that I, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you, what? An example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
But look at verse 17. This ties it all together. He says, now that you know these things, what? You will be blessed. If you know them, is that what he said? You're blessed if you know them, if you do them. Not if you just know them. Not if you just know the Scripture. Not if you just know what the truth is. But if you do them. Now, does this just mean that we have to like wash people's feet all the time? No. It means being a servant, right? Serving other people. Ministering to their needs. And when the people would come in from outside, they had sandals on. It was very dirty and dusty. If you go to Israel today, you know, it's... it's it's pretty much impossible to keep your car clean. And that's the kind of closest thing to you and I have. You know, we, we have our cars and we try to keep them clean. You look around and every car is completely covered in dust. And you can wash it, but it's not going to take long before it's covered in dust again. It's just the way it is there. But Jesus was a servant. And he said, listen, if I can be a servant, I'm supposed to be your Lord. I'm supposed to be your teacher. He says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed if you live it. Not just know it, but if you live it. That's, that's really where the... The blessings come in our lives as we do what Jesus asks us to do. He blesses us with that and in that. Amen? Amen. Live it and teach it. We're going to shift gears here and have communion. I just want to pray first, but we, we want to get back to the cross, right? That's where we want to be. That's where all this takes place for you and I as sinful human beings. We struggle with this flesh. We struggle with the world. We struggle with the enemy of our souls. For us to go to the cross. Revelation 13 talks about they defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. By the blood of Jesus Christ and by the word of their testimony, their lives, how it was being played out in their very lives. And this is something you and I need to do daily, I think. We go back to the cross on a daily basis. We sang about it. Lord, I need thee. I need you. Every hour I need you. It's not just on a Sunday on communion. Though we talk about it, we, we kind of get refocused. But we don't, we don't need to have a bread and cup to go to the cross each and every day, do we? In our own hearts, in our own lives, in our homes, in our, in our places of work, in our schools. That we would bow before him and thank him for what he did for us. That, that we would surrender and be willing to live for him and to speak for him, to speak about him. So I'm thinking that's what we want to do. We're just going to take a couple of minutes. We have the communion in the back. So what I would like you to do is just surrender at the cross and, say, and, 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 and talk to him personally for yourself about your life being lived for him. And then he might use you to also speak for him.
That's very personal, a very personal thing for, for each one of us. There's a time we have communion where we all take it together and God, you know, he, he binds us together as a unit, but there's something too about coming to the cross for ourselves. So I'm going to pray and then uh, Dan is going to uh, play some music for us and uh, then you get up when you feel right. You, go, you get up, you go get your uh, communion, you bring it back to your seat and you have it uh, between you and him. A surrender, a fresh commitment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we do take it seriously. Your powerful word, the majesty, the sanctity, the incredible word that you've given to us that we have in our possession. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be those people who live for you. We live the truth. We live it. And we teach it. And we share it. We can't do it without you. And again, if that's what you want, if that's what your word's asking, then you'll give us what we need to do it. You're faithful. You will always give us what we need to do what you ask us to do. We call upon you now. We come back to the cross. The power of the cross where our sins were paid for. Where you died for us. But you didn't stay on that cross. You were buried and you didn't stay in that grave. You rose from the dead defeating death. So we come before you now, Lord. Please take a moment or two and then...